Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Monday, February the 20th, 2023. I'm talking to you from Philadelphia on the west east coast of the United States. I'm west coast centric. I don't really... I'm always surprised when there is an East Coast in the United States. Maybe it exists. Uh, I'm trying to prove it one way or the other. Anyway, we, we're talking to you on President's Day in America, but we're having a, rather than an American-centric uh, day, we're having a rather African-centric one. Earlier today, I talked to the American journalist Nick Tabor. He has an interesting new book out on Africa Town, uh, which is a very moving book, a story about the last slave ship to arrive in the United States and the community uh, that was triggered by it. Some of you be familiar with the, the book Barracoon by um, uh, by Zora Neale Houston. She, she wrote it in the 1920s. It only got published in 2018. It's all, of course, built off the narrative of a slave ship that came from Africa to the United States, uh, the schooner Clotilda. It came uh, laden with slaves from Dahomey, a, a state that no longer exists in western part of Africa, next to Nigeria. Now it's called Benin, uh, Africa. For those of you who are watching, we have maps in 1880 and then 1913 and 1880 before the Europeans colonized the continent. It was made up of many different kingdoms, many different uh, ethnic and cultural organizations. By 1913, it had been colonized. Of course, uh, today, uh, the map of Africa looks like a, a much more conventional, if that's the right word, uh, organization of nation states dominated by uh, large countries like South Africa, Uganda, Kenya, and of course, Nigeria. Uh, and it is indeed Nigeria that we are going to next in our Africa Day. Um, Nigeria, I'm not sure if it's the largest African state. I think it's the most popular, certainly one of the most powerful economically and culturally. Um, and we're dealing with a book by a Nigerian writer, uh, Emmanuel Iduma. He's a prize-winning writer. This is his third book, I am still with you, a, a reckoning with silence, inheritance, and history. And ironically enough, in contrast um, to Africa Town and the story of the Clotilda in which Africans were brought, uh, there was no choice, of course, they were forced to be brought to the United States. This is a book of return. Uh, Emmanuel Eduma returned to Nigeria, the land of his ancestors, uh, from New York. Uh, Emmanuel is joining us today from Norwich in East Anglia, uh, where he uh, spends part of his life. He also lives in Lagos in Nigeria. Um, Emmanuel, I apologize for the rather long-winded introduction. <laughs> no. uh, but I was intrigued by the contrast in these two books, Africa Town. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the whole mm. Africa Town narrative. Uh, it's a story of, of African people being forced to come to the United States. Yours is a book of return, isn't it? I am still with. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you very much, um, Andrew. It's such a 
pleasure and honor to be here um as i have listened to your podcast for a few years um but yeah my, my book is sort of a return it's it's in the sense that i i used to live in new york um, i lived in new york um for 7 years and i moved back to nigeria um in order in a sense to reconnect with my family and to um also um do the research that produced this book um i should say um just so it's clear that i i was born and raised in nigeria i lived in nigeria until i came to the united states to study for my mfa so the sense in which this book is one of return is the sense in which i i felt that i could no longer um for the work that i wanted to do and in relation to my family remain in the united states um and 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 so that's the framing of 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 my return um to to nigeria where i was born yeah uh uh some of our viewers and listeners will be familiar with your your second book a stranger's pose yep. which one uh the windham uh, and also the, this sound of things to come mm, the stranger's mm. pose won a windham campbell prize it's quite an honor um before we get on actually to uh i'm still with you emmanuel what if, what was it like for you to live in america given obviously the um incredibly complicated and tragic history of the relationship between africa and america mm. i think that um for me in the first place i came to america in order to pursue a, pursue a professional life um in a sense i had trained as a lawyer in nigeria and um began to have the opportunity to to work with artists um right after i finished law school and um came to to the us as a result of those in a sense journeys and affiliations um because i i got involved with a group and then someone who met me while i was traveling with that group um in other parts of the continent recommended that i apply for an mfa at the school of visual arts and i did and so i say that to to point out that i came to america without um any real preparation of um or any real political um preparation so to speak um i knew america um you know only tangentially my father had lived in 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 San Francisco for 4 years um and so there was this sense in which you know i mean i guess everyone in in any part of the world knows of america um but until i came to the us i didn't feel like i had any real reckoning to 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 have with um what america was and is but of course that change right uh in the in the first sense as people say who are of nigerian origin that they don't think about their their blackness um until they come to america that is true in so far as they the the forms of difference that we are used to say in nigeria is more ethnic or sometimes religious than um than than racial um so in america i wouldn't necessarily say that i have all these memories of being um discriminated against because i was black but there was of course in the water the fact that i'm a black man um and um, you know when i am seen i am not immediately seen as nigerian except perhaps i speak but i am seen as a black person and that became immediately apparent to me um while i was in america 
Um, I mean, I was also trying to engage with, uh, you know, this is a slightly more less political, just like what, what does it mean for me now to study in America when I'd had all my education up till that point in Nigeria? And of course, I didn't even train in the humanities. I, I, I studied law. Um, well, I didn't. I didn't train in the arts. Um, I, I studied law, um, and so um, I was coming to America, having now to engage with um, an, an an art history, so to speak, that wasn't um, Nigerian or African, um, and that was also uh, something that I had to engage, deal with. Really, that I was, um, I, I had to find a way to. Um, locate my own preoccupations um, while I was in America, even though um, while studying in America, even though I didn't feel like I wanted to participate in a larger cultural conversation um, of being American. Um, mm. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, oh, it does. And, you know, in an odd way, I think you talk about the ethnic and religious and, of course, racial mm. differences in America. In an odd way, I wonder, maybe we can talk about this a little bit later, whether America mm. and Nigeria actually have quite a lot in common maps of course mm. in the one sense emmanuel tell the truth in another way they lie um, <laughs> yeah. all these yeah. maps are both truthful and uh, untruthful they're both po polemical they're forms of wishful thinking but mm. they also reflect political realities for people who are just uh, listening the map of africa we're looking at in 1880 is of a very fragmented country uh, very fragmented continent particularly mm -hmm. in the west the western part of uh, yeah. africa where uh, benin and, and nigeria are many different kingdoms by 1913 uh, you had a huge uh, colonial empire of course and then today we have nigeria now your book um is a kind of uh, companion if you like mm -hmm. to to that map. It's a book about, in many ways, the Nigerian Civil War, mm -hmm. which reflects the complicated ethnic and religious uh, and perhaps racial uh, differences within Nigeria. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the context of the book, the background against which um, the book is set is the Nigerian Civil War which, you know, to, you know, in many respects is the defining um, incident or, you know, of, of, of how Nigeria came to, um, you know, define itself afterwards, after its independence. Um, um, so Nigeria became an independent country in 1960. The war sort of began in 1967, but um, had really... Um, the events that sparked the war um, kick, I mean, began in, in 19, early 1966. Um, so my book um, it was an attempt to locate uh, a personal story within this larger, um, you know, more historical narrative of, of Nigeria. What does it mean if I will think of um, the political being invariably personal? Uh, what is the personal story um, when one is engaging with a uh, such a major, major event like the war. Um, there has been nothing like that since, um, um, thankfully. Um, um, and, and so many things that, many ways in which Nigeria has come to define itself, really, um, in terms of its um, military apparatus, in terms of um, what is called the federal character. So that is the representation of, um, or, you know, an attempt to represent 
um, Nigeria's multi-ethnic character in the, at the at the you know at the center. Um, even the ways in which people travel, um, you know, um, is directly linked to the aftermath or Nigeria's reimagination of itself in the aftermath of the war. Uh, Emmanuel, um, as you say, you studied law, you're a creative writer, you're not formally a historian, but perhaps you can help us with Mm -hmm. some background to the war. Many people in the West associate the word Biafra with the war, Mm -hmm. of course, famous George Harrison concerts in the late 1960s. Uh, the war itself resulted in, in terrible suffering. Yeah. But perhaps you might explain what the war, the, the civil, civil wars are always particularly complicated and hard to mm. explain and also controversial, American Civil War and so on. But in, in your mind, perhaps before you wrote the book, what was this war about? And then perhaps you might explain why you wrote the book and go on to explain how you think of the war now, maybe slightly mm-hmm. differently. Yeah, th- that's a great um, question. <laughs> I hope I can do justice to it. So, uh, you know, before I wrote the book, um, and, you know, I'd always sort of been interested in the war um, because I grew up here and that my uncle had um, fought for the Biafran side and did not return after the war, right? So... The war began in, in, in July of 1967, and this was after a year and a half of um, uh, what I think of as cataclysms, which is that there were two coup d'etats, um, first in January of 1966 and second in July of 1966. The first coup d'etat was ostensibly um, led by some majors in the Nigerian army who felt that the civilian government, um, the parliamentary government, it was a parliamentary styled government at the time, had become inept and corrupt and couldn't really carry the country forward. And so this group of majors who were sort of, you know, were not just evil, they, you know, there was some Yoruba amongst them, but they were mostly Yoruba and Igbo, right? Um, they led, I mean, Yoruba and Igbo are two of the larger yeah, um, those are the. Uh, would you call them? I mean, you gotta be careful with the language mm-hmm. these days, Emmanuel. So mm-hmm. maybe you can help me here. Are these? Mm-hmm. How would you define them? peoples, tribes, racial, ethnic, religious groups? Oh, the ethnic groups. I mean, that's the the more conventional term now. Um, they used to be called tribes, but of course, you know, that's that's a colonial. That is, yeah, that's a colonial word. So now, you know, they are simply known as ethnic groups. And just as an aside, Nigeria is made up of, um, you know, depends on who who is counting, but um, at least 370 ethnic groups and at least 250 languages. So it's such a huge... It makes it the United States in a way of, of, of Nigeria. And these groups... These ethnic groups are they mostly distinguished by their what their their religions their history? no their language their language their, their religion language. yeah they are only there are two major religions in Nigeria Christianity and Islam and almost you know fifty fifty in terms of you know I mean of course um, as a as a not necessarily as a practice so to speak or um, you know as a political um, distinction you know people say Nigeria is evenly split between Muslims and Christians. Um, in addition to other animist um, religions that still exist. Um, so, yeah, so the ethnic groups are mostly distinguished by, um, by, by language, 
by um, the distinction in cultural practices um, as relates to, you know, family um, ties and, you know, all kinds of conventions around how people constitute themselves. Um, and uh, many of them trace their ancestry to, you know, you know, hundreds of years before colonialism. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's the sense in which, you know, this, this ethnic... Uh, and your but, own uh, ethnic identity, was this something you were brought up to to think about or did, did you have no sense of, of where you were, uh, of who exactly you were when you were growing up in Nigeria? Oh, no, I was certainly brought up to think about my ethnicity. The language was spoken around me. In fact, my, my, um, my hometown is, speaks a slightly different um, dialect of the Igbo language, right? So that's the other thing, right? That they are dialects of some of the major languages as well, right? So I, I was brought up, even though, you know, I was, you know, um, educated in English and, you know, that was one of the, I mean, English was really the first language I was being taught, but everyone around me spoke, my parents spoke um, Igbo. Um, and then growing up, I became even more aware of my cultural identity, um, what the language meant to me. Of, of course, you come to an awakening or a reckoning rather with, with this, these things as you get older. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, so Igbo was a language. That and you mentioned that your right. uncle was in the, the Biafran army. Uh, yes. So yes. Um, was your family, uh, I mean, would it be fair to call your family Biafran or at least that they lived in, 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 the, in, the, in the short-lived state of Biafra during the yes, Civil War? Yes, yes, yes. So, um, you know, I was back to what I was explaining about the, the, the course of the war, right? So when these coups happened or when the first coup happened and then a counter coup, which was led predominantly by soldiers from the northern region where you have um, mostly the Aosa, um ethnic group, and so by this second, by this second um, coup d'état, it no longer had a revolution, quote unquote, uh, revolutionary character. It was simply um, an attempt to to deal with the Igbo officers, so to speak, who had led the first coup, or to deal with the Igbos because the first coup was largely seen as an Igbo coup, right? Um, even though that was not necessarily accurate, um, it's a longer conversation. But but this was what the sentiments were when the second coup was happening in mid-1966. Um, and so by the time this coup happened, it quickly um, um, slid into a general, almost like took on a genocidal character because the soldiers were no longer, I mean, it, it became a mob. Um, there was a mob, an incitement of a mob um, to go after people who were um, evil or from other parts of the, southern um mostly the south southern parts of nigeria um or the southeastern part of nigeria and so as a result of these um killings what was called pogroms um the estimates vary from anything from five thousand to ten thousand um and even some some accounts say up to thirty thousand people were killed in the northern part of nigeria there was a mass exodus um to the south southeast and um, to cut the story short, once there was this exodus, um, the Ewos and their neighbors felt that they could no longer be, their lives could no longer be secured um, by Nigeria. And so the Biafran um, state was born out of those, um, 
those fears of insecurity or genocide and just like the persecution um, they had faced um, in the northern um, part of Nigeria. And so my family um, was in this Biafran region, right? So everyone who was Igbo, everyone who was, um, um, you know, of any ethnic group like the Ibibio, I mean, all the other ethnic group within the South-South and all of that. Um, would automatically or automatically became Biafran when this new state was formed. Yeah. And again, I'm gonna, this is a rather crude question, but <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. All my questions are crude or stupid or something or other. Uh, um, <laughs> I mean, did your family, were your family in, in this civil war, were they winners or losers? Or were you brought up to think of the civil war in a, in a glorious sense or in uh -huh. a tragic sense? Oh no, my family was losers. So um, they by by the time the war ended, thirty months later or three years after, between nineteen sixty seven, July nineteen sixty seven, and January nineteen seventy, you know, the Biafran side lost um, for many reasons that you know I can't go into. One, the pro most prominent reason was that they simply couldn't afford to keep fighting. You know, um, they had been um, a blockade of arms and food, and you know. Um, and so um, the Biafran state lost. And so anyone who, excuse me, it was um, Biafran, um, um, you know, lost essentially, right? And what um, happened I, to your uncle? I, he was never found. Um, he, he just didn't come back. Um, it's most, um, I mean, the, the, it's, it's, it's almost impossible that he survived the war, uh, you know, um, because if he survived, he would have found a way to come back, which is part of what I, 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 I do write about in a similar case of someone I knew who also one of my dad's friend who, who essentially left home during the war and then eventually found his was way back. Was he quite senior in the army, your uncle? Yeah, yeah, he was in the army. Um, now, the Biafran army wasn't, uh, which is part of what my research led me to. You know, you think of a more conventional army top down and all of that. Um, but what I realized, um, because part of what was shared about his um, position in the army, that he was pretty much high up. Now, there's no way he could have been high up because he hadn't joined the army before the war, right? So what had happened was there were all kinds of parallel um, armies, you know, in, in the sense that there were Biafran armies um, that were not um, conventional. They didn't fight. In, I mean, they were guerrilla. Um, that's the word. They were guerrilla armies um, within the um, the Biafran region that fought for Biafra for sure, um, but we aren't necessarily answering in the same kind of way to the more conventional um, army. That, so Emmanuel, you know, why the book? Was it an attempt to make sense of this incredibly chaotic, complicated and mm. tra tragic uh, event? Or was it some sort of cathartic attempt to a cathartic attempt to to get it out of your system perhaps your family's system why mm. right yeah i think both both senses are correct um i i wanted to make sense of both uh you know a personal history and a national history i mean the biafran war i had been fascinated um about the biafran war you know from my adolescence really um because i wasn't taught the war in school um you know for reasons that we'll probably get into later um, and so a lot of the things that i know about the war we had discovered by from my own research and from the anecdotes that my family shared with me and of course 
in writing this book, the things that I, I discovered, right? So it always loomed large, um, you know, also because I was named after my uncle that didn't return. Um, and so for a long time, you know, once I became a writer, I became serious about my writing, I felt that there was a story that I could tell about Biafra. I, I, I thought originally I would write some kind of fiction um, relating to the aftermath of the war that didn't quite work out essentially because maybe I'll still do it, but I, you know, I just couldn't get through any draft of a novel because I felt that there was something that was too real to be dealt with um, via the abstraction of fiction. Um, and, 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 you know, and in, in, in that sense, I turned to nonfiction in order to articulate why um, it was important for me to write this book. Um, and that importance comes out of just making sense of the history. Um, um, what does it mean to lose um, or to go into a war or to return from a war and not hear from your sibling, in my father's case again? Um, those were questions that, uh, that's, that, that were very important to me while I wrote. And I mean, I didn't, I don't think the book has, you know, it's a book that has, is close ended in the sense that, you know, I arrive at a destination or a conclusion um, or even a finding that is um, cathartic, so to speak. But I do think that the process of thinking through um, um, what Nigerian history means to me um, has, uh, in, in the ultimate sense, I really think that I've had a political um, awakening. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah. so as I said, um, how do you, so, 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 so two follow-up questions there, mm -hmm. Emmanuel. Firstly, mm -hmm. how did researching and writing this book change your opinion of the Civil War? Mm -hmm. And secondly, how did it make you rethink your association, affection, critique of Nigeria? Mm. I think that, I mean, not so much changed in terms of my opinion of the war. Um, I, I, I think that I'd always um, felt, you know, that, you know, the war could have been avoided. I mean, and this is not something that is unique to my own thinking. I, I think that many people have said it, even some of the people who participated in the war, um, that with a little bit more diplomacy and, um, and, um, commitment to compromise, um, the two warring factions could have avoided um, the large-scale destruction and um, deaths that followed. Um, so I, I started researching and writing the book, you know, under that guise. I wasn't necessarily um, trying to find something new about the history of the war because that has been, that's actually quite popular within Nigerian writing i mean there's been a lot of writing around the war um at least nationally right so i wasn't doing any kind of research that would bring me to a new understanding of what the war um or the facts about the war but i was um, the second question i was certainly doing research um you know in order to understand for myself what i felt um about the ways in which the war had shaped Nigeria or uh, shaped and also had shaped me as Nigerian. Um, and, 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 and that was something that I'd never undertaken before. I mean, I had mostly in my writing stuck to the more imaginative, creative um, aspects of, you know, 
um, thinking through Nigerian life. But in this occasion, I had to honestly come to a place where I felt I understand something about Nigerian politics or I can make propositions about Nigeria's, um, you know, even future in a way that I couldn't earlier. Um, and what that meant, um, you know, and one of the one of the propositions is really that in some way um, Nigeria has to deal with um, um, the trauma that has been passed down, you know, um, you know, through these two generations after the war. Um, so it's been it's nearly it's 50 plus years since the war ended. And you have at least, you know, two generations that, that have come right after the war. How do you deal with the sense in my, for instance, in my case of um, of knowing that the war is not being taught in schools? So, so you're saying that in a funny way, maybe this is rather similar to the American Civil War. There hasn't mm. really been closure. I think so. I mean, I, 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 I would say so. Um, I'm not... I'm not sure that I would fully understand what closure would mean in a psychological sense, right? Yeah, but it probably I do think... is unrealistic for anyone. <laughs> no war. Yeah. Certainly a civil war is ever finally closed. Uh, yeah, you know, and that's that's part of it, right? Like, and that that's something that I also had to come to terms with, that for many people, this is what defines their relationship to Nigeria, this sense of apathy and disillusionment. Um and and so it's almost like I had to understand what was really at stake when people now are agitating for Biafra again. So there's a huge movement. And did this make you more or less ambivalent about the new wave of Biafran nationalism or separatism? Did it was it a warning? To say, yeah. well, the last thing we want is another war. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was, I mean, uh, one of the things that I do write about in the book is that I'm all for, of course, thinking through what it means for Igbos to feel more political, po politically politically involved in Nigerian, in, in the Nigerian state, um, to feel that they have a stake in the future of Nigeria and all of that. I mean, of course, this is, you know, the process of national formation and identity is, you know, constantly being renegotiated and renegotiated. But um, the idea that violence could be an option, just completely, I'm uninterested in that um, because I don't think that there would be any difference, you know, in the, in the Biafran in the possibility of a Biafran state if another war were to be fought, right? I think, you know, I, we yeah. tried that before, right? Right, so that's <laughs> one universal lesson from the book. Um, the reviews have already been very strong. Congratulations, Emmanuel. I'm sure it will win more prizes and become a bestseller. Um, Thank you. Publishers Weekly said that um, they thought that it would really resonate with readers eager to uncover their own family secrets. Do you think mm. that's true? Do you think this is a book that will spark others, whether they're in Africa or Asia, or Europe, the United States, just eager to research their own complicated, cloudy, mm. misty family histories? Yeah, yeah, I think, I, I, I hope so. I mean, I think that we um, are sort of always... Uh, as I was thinking about it earlier, we are sort of always um, 
we have a story that is like a, a stream um, that flows into a sea of stories, right? Um, um, we are never, our, our narratives, uh, the narratives we of, about our lives are never simply um, singular. Um, um, and so I do think that at least my gesture in the book is to try to connect with something larger than 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 I am, um, or that my, than my own personal life, because on the face of it, right, the story of my life or my evolution as a person, or even my immediate family, is not exactly interesting, except it connects to something I feel that is larger. And so my sense and my hope is that people who read this book would begin to ask questions. And asking of questions doesn't necessarily mean um, that answers would be given. Um, for instance, you know, I by the time I was writing this book, my dad had passed on. And so I had no, there was no opportunity uh, really to sit him down for hours and just ask him every possible question. And so I went into writing knowing that there would be large gaps in my telling of my family story that would never be filled. Um, um, and, but I feel that in the telling of the story or the telling of the story rather becomes quite an in, important way to inscribe myself in, in my family's history, in my nation's history, um, or the attempt to tell that story um, becomes um, something um, useful. And I hope that it's the same for others. Uh, Emmanuel, finally, um, you got a starred review in Kirkus. Congratulations. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. The summary was um, a powerful contribution to modern Nigerian history, which we've talked about. Mm. And then they added particularly significant in an age of ethnic conflict around the world. I'm not sure that <laughs> there's any more or less ethnic conflict around the world in the 2020s than there was mm. in the 1920s or the 1820s it's yeah. complicated but do you think that's true do you think that um it's it's particularly relevant mm. in an age marked by ethnic conflict of one kind or another and and if that's the case what what does this teach us mm. i think i i i, I mean I, I think that i'm not you know um, I don't know how ethnicity is defined, really, um, to be honest, outside of Nigeria. And, you know, in terms of my direct relationship to ethnicity, I, of course, I know that, you know, um, there are parts of Europe, there are parts of, you know, other parts of the African continent that are ethnocentric, right, that define them themselves around ethnic groupings. Um, I do think, however, that what I what I hope the book is would gesture um, is um, is what what in what way do we try to deal with difference, right? Um, you know, this is the I think this is of course the central question that America is trying to figure out now, um, where you know there's it almost seems like there is an implosion of you know both sides, right? There is an implosion in the ways in, in the way both sides relate to each other. Um, so what does difference mean? Um, you know, this is a question that we've been trying to answer from the beginning of time, really. And I think that my own proposition um, takes an ethnic character, um, but that might not necessarily be the same, you know, in other parts of the world, right? So I would use ethnic um, or ethnicity um, as a placeholder for other forms of difference, Um 
And I mean, the story is the same, that when two sides, regardless of how they define their differences, um, cannot meet, um, reach a compromise, um, um, war breaks out, violence breaks out. I mean, I, I think that when you think about human history in general, there are probably less than, I don't know, hundreds, hundred years uh, when there's been no conflict, you know? Um, and so as a story as humans is a story in which conflict results from the, the improbability of, of dealing with, um, with any form, with forms of difference. Um, so I hope that my book is significant in the sense that I am saying um, this is what happened to my country. This is what happened to my family as a result of the breakdown of, um, of um, um, interaction between two um, multiple ethnicities, really, not just two. Um, and hopefully this serves as a warning um, that this is the kind of scars that can emerge um, from that kind of um, failures of communication and compromise. Yeah.